This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikatoa, a radio show and podcast taking a look at the quirkier people, groups and interests in the region. I'm producer Gary Farrow. That sound is the unique boom of the matuku, or Australasian bittern. Goeco, based in Kirikiriroa Hamilton, is backing the wetland species for Forest and Birds Bird of the Year, which recognises our unique birds and with each vote we give them a voice. The matuku is endangered, with much of its wetland habitat having been destroyed. One of the most important populations is in Whangamarino wetland near Mercer in the Waikato. Dr Emma Williams has researched them. Um, when I was doing my honours in the UK, um, they've got a different species, but a bit in, uh, in the UK as well. And uh, so I was quite interested at that time. I wanted to do a project on them. Um, but it didn't work out. And then when I came to New Zealand, I started working for the Department of Conservation as a research assistant. Um, and my partner at the time was um, wanting to stay in Palmerston North. So I was looking to do a student project. And the team that I was working with um, had, um, it was around the time that Aroi Kakariki, um, which is a, a wetland restoration program that's led by DOC, had just started up. And so they were thinking about doing some more bitten work and, and, and the plight of bitten was uh, getting a bit more, people were starting to notice that uh, there weren't many bitterns around. And, um, and so the timing of it just worked out perfectly in the end. And then once I started on them, I got smitten pretty quickly. Oh yeah. It was also because I was uh, at the time that this project came up, I was working on um, South Island Robins in Fiordland and they're a very gregarious species that hop up and down on your boot. So um, they're quite easy to work on. And so I think I was ready for a bit of a challenge. And oh boy, is bitten quite a challenge. And they're very hard to work on. So, yeah. It was because they were so cryptic. I was just quite intrigued by um, their behaviours and the way that they're difficult to find. Um, and as such a challenge. They, they're very clever, uh, so they've got several different uh, kind of features about them which contribute to their cryptic nature. One of them is is their coloration. Um, they've got uh, these beautiful striations on their on their chest, um, which are so lines that are different shades of brown. And when they're in the reeds, that makes them. Um, it's the same kind of colour. And when they go into what we call the freeze pose or the surveillance pose, those lines line up perfectly with the vegetation around them. And it makes them disappear just instantly in front of your eyes, um, which is quite amazing. Um, but then they've also got some behaviours that make them really secretive. So they do things like um, flatten themselves um, so that even in short grass, they can disappear. 
when I first realized um, that they did this um, was because, uh, so I was, I was out at Fang Marina Wetland and um, uh, we just pulled over because we'd seen a bitten on the side of the road. And so we all got out of the truck and, um, and then we were looking at, at this bitten through the naked eye and we could see it there and it's standing in its freeze pose. So it's kind of like this um, with its beak in the air. And, um, um, and I wanted to have a closer look at it with my binoculars split second that it took me to get my binoculars up to my eye to look at it it completely disappeared and I couldn't believe it like how is it you know it hadn't flown anywhere um it was just it just gone um and so eventually um after sort of trying to work it out and going I don't know what's going on here I walked down to the base of the wetland and and we actually saw the bit in there and it was flat on it. So it, it had just gone from that to that within a really short space of time and flattened itself. Um, and so, yeah, in blink of the eye and it was gone. Um, so it's, yeah, those sorts of behaviours, they creep. So um, when I was working with, um, I, uh, I have a dog, which who was a conservation dog, but she's retired now and she used to find bittens. And um um, when we were creep- when we were moving through the reeds and the brushes, I mean, I sound like an elephant, and it's really hard to to move um, humans through that kind of habitat. But they just they just move seamlessly through it, um, just weaving their way, um, you know, through the reeds, grabbing hold of the tops of the reeds, um, and just moving through. It's yeah, it's quite amazing. They're very cool birds. The bitten story of how they've ended up being in such small numbers is quite complex because it's not just about the predators. There's also the fact that we've only got 10% of our wetlands now. So they've had um, a large amount of their habitat has been removed. Um, the wetlands that are left are um, in line. Um, so for their feeding, um, they rely on certain conditions to be able to catch their food. They're sight uh, feeders, so they need to be able to see them. Um, and so they also like... Um, shallow water that's quite clear so they can see their prey and catch it and of course we've got a water quality problem now in New Zealand so it makes it a little bit harder for them to catch their prey the other possible uh, the other possible threat um that we think is in play here is um because they need that shallow water we often have channeled our water into deep drains um, and that can make it very difficult for them to catch their prey because they they're the least adaptable of the all of the bitten species, all of the heron species in the world. Um, and so basically they see their prey, but they stab it and that's it. They can't do any diving or any kind of fancy techniques like some of the herons, uh, other heron species do. Um, and so that just means it's a little bit harder for them to, to find their prey in some of the, um, some of our waterways now. So that's a shame. And then on top of that, we've got predators and then they're very sensitive species. So, um, they don't like disturbances and of course um, we we quite enjoy our wetlands we like to go out in them and yeah so that also um, yeah there's a disturbance factor in there too. I think it's largely that we've just got so few of wetlands now and the other thing that happens with bitten is um, and well it happens with wetlands is that um, it's natural for wetlands to flood. Um, they're dynamic systems. They're supposed to have changes in water levels. And normally that would happen on a catchment level. Um, but a, a matuku would just hop over to another site 
in a different catchment that wasn't flooded and catch its food there. But because it's got less habitat, it's less, it's, the system isn't as adaptable anymore. It hasn't got anywhere else to go when its prime sites are flooded. Um, and so it just makes it less adaptable um, to changes in conditions and, um, yeah, different, different threats when they come in. So that's part of the problem. Would you be able to give us some insight into what the situation is in the Marino wetlands at the moment, which are, of course, effectively severed by railway lines and highways? Marino wetland is, um, uh, it's got pretty much all of the threats that um, bittern um, are subject to. It's, it's, it is a large site, so um, it's got that in its favour. Um, it still does have some areas in the centre which don't get as disturbed as, as those areas in the edges. But um, the biggest problem with Marino wetland is that um, it's, um, it is a, an artificial flood scheme. And so, um, so, I mean, we've been putting a bit of work into trying to identify what the optimum water is and try to see if we can... Um, um, make it so that some parts of the site will remain suitable for Matugu um, over a longer term. Um, but it's a challenging site. And yes, it's got the railway there as well. We do know that Matugu do get, um, do get uh, hit by, by vehicles and including trains. Um, and that has happened. And it's also that whole catchment has got very poor water quality. Um, and so the prey is not that healthy there. Um, so yes, it's got it's got a lot of problems playing marina. I think it's uh, it's a matter of having good, healthy respect for the species. So um, rather than uh, you know some of some of the people that are most in wetlands are the best advocates for bitterns, um, and also are the um, are the best at, at protecting the environment the bittern need. And so um, I think it's more about um, if you're hearing and seeing a bit in, um, just respecting that it's there and, and that it is a sensitive species, so not falling into that area and scaring off all the time because it, it will move to another site if you do that. If, it's, um, if, it's, if there's males booming in a site, then during the breeding season, which is between September and January, you don't really want to be going in and cutting any of the, any of the reeds or the rushes or the raupo. Um, instead, uh, you know, just stay back out of that area and let them, let them breed. Um, but the rest of the year, it's absolutely fine. Um, yeah, just as long as you're not purposely trying to uh, follow a bit and around and flush it out. Um, in general, they hear you coming and they'll move away from you well before you see them. They've got their cryptic behaviour Sometimes you can be really close to them and you won't know that they're there. So, um, and it, they know that you can't see them. And so then they just watch you and then move on. Um, but we don't want to be, you know, making heaps of noise in, in our wetlands and, um, and trashing them. Um, so mostly how, well, how people can help, help bitterns are by doing predator control in the wetlands, so taking the predators out, um, by... Uh, 
reporting a bit in uh, to, to either your local doc office or um, there's a couple of schemes going. You're talking to John later, um, who's encouraging people to report boomers. So being part of those schemes, getting involved um, if your local doc office does bit in monitoring, that's really helpful. And then, yeah, protection of the, of the habitat. So creating or enhancing um, wetlands, any wetlands at the moment, because, because we've only got 10% of our wetlands, any, any restoration that you can do or creation wetland is gonna help. Um, all the work that's being done on improving water quality and water clarity is gonna help bitterns. Um, Protecting your reed beds, that will help bitterns. Um, keeping dogs out um, during uh, nesting out of the wetland, that's great. Um, and also uh, providing fish, native fish habitat. Then that's another good one that you can do. John Summit from West Auckland is one of the Mataku's biggest fans. Yeah, well, I've, uh, I guess I've, I've become that way. Um, um, several years ago, um, I was involved in releasing Pateku to our wetland out in West Auckland here and um, came up with a um, certainly the first in New Zealand, possibly the world, using drones to sort of survey um, the um, radio track ducks and we got a WWF award for that and uh, I was talking at a conference in Nelson and uh, I'd also thought with drones you can do thermal imaging put a thermal camera on a drone and I thought because we had bitter and matuku at, um, at our reserve uh, they're bloody hard to see and using their thermal imaging their heat uh, source was a way of um, uh, so it seemed a good idea. Emma at that stage was, uh, she, in her t uh, presentation, she'd use handheld thermal, um, trying to look through the reeds to find bitterns, but that is obviously no good. I'd worked out if you go overhead of the reeds, it should work. So after um, a couple of years of trying to get funding for the concept, we finally tried it out in the Bay of Plenty. Uh, midwinter's night standing there freezing our butts off sending out drones in the pitch black and um, picking up some interesting stuff so the theory is uh, correct uh, the practicalities are that it's, it's expensive on pilot time and equipment and um, probably can't be used countrywide but it certainly is an interesting concept the Australians are starting to use it, that idea now and it was through that I started talking with um, a lot of Australian researchers on bittern because they've got the same bird facing the same problems uh, and uh, becoming, you know, heading towards extinction. This year I've uh, set up a try to uh, get a different handle on where bitterns are by recording their, um, getting uh, volunteers around the country, um, average public to record where they hear bittern. Um, and I used a particular slogan from one of our politicians, OK Boomer. Um, and so, <laughs> because uh, for some, you know, I mean, bitterns are rare. Um, there may only be as few as six or 700 of them. And of course that makes them far more rare than many of our Kiwi species. And um, their rarity might be even worse than we are aware because they 
as Emma has found out, um, they are mobile and they can go, you know, 140 Ks. So the bird you see in one wetland today might be in another tomorrow and someone else might see it. Uh, you get double recording. So at one time of the year though, they tend to be at, fixed in there in one spot and that's some breeding. So, and the only time you can detect them, well, relatively easily when they boom, the males give booming sound in the breeding season. So that was the concept of, okay, boomer, I've got feelers out throughout the country trying to make a citizen science survey. Um, so yeah, I've become uh, attached to bittern. Uh, I see them at my wetland occasionally, but they're rarely seen. That um, They can be heard at places, but um, they're masters of uh, camouflage. And, um, you know, typically... Um, if you disturb one, it flies away or just melts into the reeds of the ropo. And um, yeah, so they're, they're called a cryptic species. Uh, and, uh, but they, you know, they, they used to be more common when uh, wetlands were more common, you know, having lost 90% of the wetlands in this country, we therefore have lost at least that number of birds. And um, we've also not only got rid of their habitat, we've uh, introduced a whole lot of predators which stuff up their um, population as well. So uh, cats, ferrets, stoats, dogs, uh, these are things that will, you know, reduce the numbers. And then of course we've got, um, there's a discussion paper at the moment, um, unfortunately looking at to pass to further intrude on wetlands, uh, the, uh, with urbanization, the uh, concept of allowing more quarrying if it's close to wetlands, loosening the controls on protecting the few wetlands we have. So that I think is a, um, a, a concern that, uh, uh, and particularly when we are facing climate change issues, uh, increased rainfall, wetlands are bloody important in terms of protecting a lot of areas because they do you know, scoop up a lot of water, slow down the speed of floods, etc. So there we go. So I was speaking to uh, Emma yesterday about Whangamarino wetlands and about how they are sort of transient wetlands. Um, they uh, Sometimes they are full of water and other times they aren't, specifically because, um, is it, is, would that be because of water being drained off nearby farmland? Yeah, that, that, that's that's a big issue, and um, of course, when uh, there are various weirs and things there, and when farmland gets drained, the farmers want that water off as quickly as possible. So, it it, um, it probably it one historically was a far more stable wetland. There would have been variations, of course, but um, it, it's been modified by the the farmland and and their need for drainage. Yeah. Hmm. Now, it's really interesting talking about the matuku, the bittern, as a cryptic species. I haven't heard uh, people talking about cryptic species before, but uh, yeah. these birds are, if any, aren't they? And I mean, when you were talking before about using the drones to, um, with heat trackers to be able to uh, possibly detect bittern, that sounds like a police helicopter being off after an elusive <laughs> criminal, but they're these... They're these they're these camouflaged, um, intelligent birds. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, they, bitterns, um, 
have these dull sort of uh, camo colours, you know. Uh, they've got pretty green legs, but you don't tend to see them. Uh, but their coloration, the plumage is such that they're designed to sort of merge into reeds and that. And that's so for bitterns all around the world. But perhaps uh, bittern in Aotearoa had fewer uh, predators. I mean, they were a top predator in our wetlands. In the same bird, though, in Australia might have had to face, you know, snakes, um, goannas, all sorts of other things. Uh, here, apart from something like, well, pre our previous eagle or something like that, it might have had too many other threats as a predator on top of it. Uh, so it was the top predator in wetlands getting into eels and other fish and, um, or, or, you know, various invertebrates and crustacea and stuff. Um, but it's still got that very camouflaged uh, plumage, which suits it well. Um, and then possibly you've heard of its, uh, the other technique it has, its freeze ability. Yes, yes, Emma was yeah. telling me about that yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah so not only does it freeze, but it's uh, got a uh, behaviour where it, it learns to sort of sway with any reed movement, with the reeds moving in the wind, and it just sways in time. So it's... Uh, it can be damned hard to see the things, yeah. Mm, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, now, the uh, Go Eco Waikato has taken on the bittern as their uh, candidate for bird of the year this year that they're yeah. supporting. Um, so that would be important for the bittern, the matuku, to be getting that profile, wouldn't it? Because it's an incredibly... Uh, endangered species as you mentioned it's rarer than some species of kiwi it is and you know bird of the year brings interest and i think if it, if matuka can have increased interest uh, and awareness made you know it's a bird of the wetlands and and i get back to wetlands being important for us as well as humans so um you know, wetlands have been drained, they've been used as dumping grounds, um, siltation, that stuffs them up. So if the bird of the year can make more people aware of bittern and then in turn the importance of wetlands, then I think that's a good thing. So, yeah, I'm right behind the uh, Go Eco Bird of the Year program, yeah. So wetlands are important Um uh, not only in terms of providing ecosystems uh, for uh, wildlife and for um, uh, absorbing CO2, but they also break down um, things in the soil, don't they? Like, for example, um, nitrates running off of um, farms can be processed very well by the um, elements living in a wetland. That's right. And so, you know, I think a lot of um, farmers are realising that and, sealing off their wet areas to act as uh, you know, a, a place where nitrogen is uh, nitrate are taken up. Um, you know, constructed wetlands are an important part even on motorways and things because there's a lot of nitrates and other toxins that go into waters off motorways. So um, our big motorways now ha have a lot of really good constructed wetlands. I was driving down to Hamilton just the other day and there on the main highway in the little swale to the left, I saw a matuku there. For, I almost drove off the road. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, how many cars are going by at uh, 110k now? And uh, there was uh, a matuku in the swale beside the motorway. So those are sort of constructed wetlands. Um, but, uh, you know, 
they still don't have the variety or the uh, capacity to have breeding as a natural wetland would have. Mm, right. So, yeah, they very much need the natural wetlands to be um, maintained, those that do exist, um, because there's, it would be hard to preserve the species in any other way, wouldn't it? Yeah. So, so um, they're in decline, loss of habitat, the predators we've introduced, and it isn't helped when those wetlands are being reduced further. Um, there are some successes in some places if you try hard enough to get rid of the, 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 the mustelids, the stoats and the ferrets and reduce cat numbers and that. So it allows you know, a bit of breeding to, um, to occur. Um, and hopefully more people will become aware of bittern in their local areas and do more to that uh, predator uh, control. Yeah. Mm, that'll be fantastic. Now, with their, with their booming that you said they do, does that sound sort of like um, the kakapoas boom? Is that uh, the sort of boom it is? It is. It's a, um, a, a similar thing that um, the male bird gets a very much a, uh, a loosening of some of the tissues around its uh, chest cavity and neck cavity, and so it sucks in air. And then a bit like uh, the drone of uh, bagpipes, you know, it's got all this air and then it just sort of uses, I guess, um, and just something like uh, belly contraction just to force that air out and you get three, four, five booms in a row and they can um, uh, travel up to 1K. I think Kakapo are better. I think they can do hundreds of booms and that, but uh, the uh, Matuku tend to do uh, you know, a few at a time often in the early mornings, often dusk, but can be through the day as well, yeah. Mm, that'll be really interesting for people to be able to hear um, what, that, uh, what that sounds like then. Um, j just lastly, uh, John, um, it's important, I think, that people um, uh, are aware of the Citizen Science Survey. So would you like to share um, details on how people can get involved in that? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, so um, OK Boomer is the uh, Citizen Science Project and people who hear the uh, boom of a bittern or a matuku in their local wetland, if they can uh, record the, uh, the day, the time and the site and send it to our, our uh, website www.matukulink.org.nz um, Going on the website there, we've got a um, spreadsheet that you can put your details um, but yeah, that will give you a, a start to uh, record that. I'm hoping for it to be a long-term survey so we can uh, perhaps see changes, um, hopefully positive changes, birds being picked up in sites they might not have uh, been heard of before. Um, places like Whangamarino get a lot of attention because that's one of our, our major uh, population areas. Uh, but there are lots of small wetlands that probably don't get the attention from DOC or from local councils. Uh, so that's where I hope citizen science can come in. Thanks to Dr. Emma Williams from the Department of Conservation, John Summich, Forest and Bird and the Matuku for being the subjects of this episode of WTS Waikato. You can vote for the Matuku and any other birds you want to support in Bird of the Year by visiting birdoftheyear.org.nz. 
If you liked what you heard in this episode of WTS Waikato, you can like the show on Facebook or find it wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, stay safe and be kind. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.